Morning. I uh, decided to be with you this morning. Uh, today is the the day that I get to uh, serve all the husbands in the room by reminding them that it's Father's Day uh, and to get flowers on the way home. Uh, I uh, no, uh, truthfully, I uh, I think one of the things that I very much I think appreciate about days like today uh, is that it is an opportunity for churches to do, I think, what churches are uniquely equipped to do, uh, where simultaneously we can uh, celebrate the blessing of mothers, thank uh, the mothers around us for their stewardship and their calling. We can simultaneously celebrate uh, those among us who are spiritually mothering the congregation faithfully, and at the same time that we uh, celebrate with those who are celebrating, we can uh, mourn with those who mourn and recognize that today is a a difficult day for others. And so uh, my encouragement to you all, uh, though I'm sure we all have uh, family gatherings and things this afternoon, that we spend some time after church uh, just loving each other well and in- encouraging those who need to be encouraged and uh, strengthening other mothers who are uh, tired and just loving each other well. Uh, this morning, um, I have, I, I want to say, uh, I want to prepare you. I don't. I don't really know what to warn you of, but I want to warn you uh, that uh, I'm going to preach topically this morning. Which, uh, if you know me well, it's very good that uh, for just to say, what does the text say? Because it kind of keeps me on track. Uh, and more than that, uh, I suppose this morning we're going to kind of spend some time talking about. Uh, the state of the church and um, some potential challenges moving forward, and kind of overall, that uh, some of the emphases we see is kind of governing our life as a church in the New Testament. And so, uh, it may be that we don't get done until two, but I assure you, it'll be time well spent. Uh, I want to uh, want to start by maybe uh, making an analogy that occurred to me this week that probably I think uh, pretty well describes where we're at. Uh, But to start, uh, I'll tell you something about myself. I am not particularly athletic. Uh, Really not athletic at all, honestly. Like, uh, uh, my joints grind like they're 80, and they have for most of my life. Like, I probably wasn't all that athletic to begin with. Uh, the only thing I ever had growing for me is I got taller faster than most of my peers. And that meant I got to play tight end for a short window, and then I wasn't good enough to do that. Uh, I was never big enough or strong enough uh, to really earn a spot on varsity, but as I got older in high school, uh, my weaknesses notwithstanding, our team had a problem. I went to a small school, uh, Palmyra, and uh, 
there was an opportunity in front of me that was probably unique to small school teams in that we had guys on our team who were much bigger than I was, much stronger than I was, uh, but while they were physically capable of playing the position of lineman, uh, they struggled to do other parts, like remember the count between the huddle and the line. <laughs> Uh, or the quarterback would uh, say the play, you know, a 23 trap, and they'd have no idea what that meant. So they could push people, they just didn't know where to push them. Uh, and so our coach told me, uh, like, hey, you can probably have a spot starting, but like, it's going to be on the line, and you're not really going to be, you know, your job is to quarterback the line. Oh, what does that mean? Like, well, you hear the play, tell them what they need to do, and then ensure that they know when they're going to hike the ball. Uh, and so I got a position on the line, uh, and my, my primary role was just that. Uh, I wasn't there uh, because I was the most gifted. I was there to make sure that the most gifted knew what they were supposed to be doing. And I think... Uh, Sometimes uh, churches run into that trouble where uh, people are very well equipped to do what they're supposed to be doing, but they don't know exactly what it is that they're supposed to be doing. Uh, and like our problem was some kids had one guy, a very large man, had transferred in late and had no idea what our offense was. Uh, you know, each guy had... Uh, different issue, maybe, uh, but the end result was probably what we needed to do was go do a little less practicing of hitting and a little more explaining what it is that's going on, and maybe we were just kind of running on the assumption as a team that everybody knew what they were supposed to be doing at the same time that we recognized not everybody knows what they're supposed to be doing. And so we want to take uh, one week uh, just to kind of step back uh, and talk about what exactly it is that God has called us to, to do, to be as a church, um, because we are a team with fully equipped members. Like, we are able to do, uh, by God's grace, everything that the Lord has called us to do. I think it's important that we're sure uh, in the beginning that we know what it is that we're supposed to be doing. And so... Uh, some of you might say, like, well, I already know exactly what it means to uh, make a disciple. Uh, you know, I can, I can check out for the next half hour. Uh, and uh, while there are some of us uh, who know what it means to make a disciple uh, and are making disciples, there are also some of us who very much know what it means to make a disciple and are not making disciples. Uh, so I want to talk a little bit this morning, uh, not just about what it is that we're supposed to be doing, but uh, when we're not obeying the Lord's command, what exactly is, is going on. Uh, and I want to start by looking uh, at Colossians chapter 1, verse 27. Paul writes, To them God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of his glory of this mystery, 
which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Him we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom that we may present everyone mature in Christ. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within me. And I want to start here, uh, because many of you will recognize that, that phrase in verse 28, that we may present everyone mature in Christ, is how we've long summarized our understanding of what our mission is, that we are endeavoring to present everyone mature in Christ. Uh, as ultimately, it isn't our striving that produces uh, maturity, but it is Christ who produces maturity. Yet maturity in Christ isn't simply coming to faith in Christ, but maturity in Christ is more than faith in Christ. That those who've come to faith in Christ are in increasingly conformed to the image of Christ. That day by day, month by month, year by year, my character looks more and more like the character of Jesus Christ, and my life is more and more modeled after the life of Jesus Christ than it was before. And everyone, that our interest isn't just to see that everyone in this room is increasingly like Christ Jesus, but our interest is to see that all people that uh, we can possibly interact with uh, hear the gospel or are invited to respond to the gospel and Lord willing, join us in increasingly becoming like Christ. And at the same time, uh, that uh, you know, that is our charge in verse 29, that Paul uh, beautifully, uh, for this I toil, struggling with all my, not my, his energy that he powerfully works within me. Like that, you would expect a my there, but the his, I like guess, a gorgeous tension where Paul's simultaneously recognizing we strive for this, we work for this, but at the same time, it's not our striving or working that makes things effective. It's his power that makes it effective, right? So we are yearning for this as a church body in each other's lives and the lives of the people in our communities, yet we recognize that it's not our yearning and striving and work that ultimately produce change in the hearts of people. It's God's grace that produces change in the hearts of others. So I'd like to pray, and then I'm going to flesh this out a little bit. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we uh, thank you, God, for the grace of Christ, God, that you have called us to yourselves as sons and daughters. You've appointed this time for us to worship one an uh, worship with one another and to uh, serve each other. And Lord, we pray that you would be glorified in uh, the unity of this body and in the song that we sing, Lord, that Christ would be exalted. And Lord, as we see your power at work uh, in our midst, God, that we would be challenged to increasingly conform to the image of Christ, God, that we would uh, pursue Christ-likeness, God, that we would be uh, 
able to see what it is to be called to Christ-likeness, that we would be humble enough to admit the ways that we are not like Christ in God, that we would yield to your spirit as he increasingly transforms us uh, from one degree of glory to the next. And God, we pray that uh, even as this happens in our midst, God, that you would use your work here uh, to adorn the gospel of Jesus Christ. God, that you would use evidences of uh, your grace to draw others to the grace of Christ. And we pray that you would build your church, and we pray that you would be glorified. In Christ's name, amen. So I think uh, when we talk about making disciples, there's probably one misconception that's so common that it needs to be addressed kind of from the outset. Uh, and I want to be... Uh, careful about how I say this because there's something that I want to say, but there are lots of things that the thing that I want to say might imply that I don't mean to imply. So if that was confusing, it's about to get more confusing. Uh, when, I think, often, uh, when we, when Christians, uh, talk about like maturing in Christ uh, or growing in Christ, we make... Uh, I don't want to call it an unfounded assumption because it's it's not it's not not true, but it's like a half truth, uh, and probably those are the the enemy's most uh, devious tricks. Is when he takes something that's almost entirely true and sprinkles in just enough of a lie that it becomes not true, and I think one of those for sure is uh, the number of Christians that labor under the idea that becoming more like Jesus means and means only knowing more about my Bible. Now, uh, I, I would certainly never tell anyone in this room that you shouldn't labor to know your Bible better than you know your Bible now. It's God's Word. And God uses it to transform people's hearts. The better you know your Bible, uh, the more you are, I think, opening yourself to the convicting, uh, powerful work of the Holy Spirit. Yet, I think it is entirely possible for a person to know a lot about the Bible and look nothing like Jesus Christ. And so, if we make the mistaken assumption that all there is to being more like Jesus is knowing more about my Bible, we can get pretty far away from Christ's likeness and think that we're on the right path. Right? That became incredibly clear to me when I was at UNL. I took a class on the Gospels. I thought, how bad could it be? Uh, and then I learned. Uh, uh, it sounded interesting. I, you know, I knew uh, we're not going to agree. He's not a Christian, but I well, would like to better understand the way that uh, higher critics think about the Bible, and this is a good opportunity. So I took the class, and uh, he definitely was not a Christian, but one of the things that amazed me in the class is his recall of the Gospels was bar none, better than anybody I've ever met, better than anybody I ever met in seminary. 
Like, you could, you know, he would throw out a bomb in class and try to aggravate the Christians, and then some Christian student would stand up, you know, like, God's not dead. What about, and they'd start to quote a verse, and he'd cut them off and finish the verse. Like, he would hear three words, and then he would know what verse it was. He had an incredible command of the Gospels and almost no understanding of the message of the Gospels. Uh, And, like... I don't know that I learned anything that was on the syllabus that semester, but I did learn that it's quite possible for a person to know the Bible really, really, really well and not understand it at all. And I think, uh, more than we'd like to admit, uh, that is sometimes a problem for Christians, where uh, we think that all there is to our call in Christ is better understanding our Bible. And there certainly is an aspect to being a disciple that means learning. In fact, probably the best way to translate the Greek term is learner. Like, a disciple is someone who is learning. Uh, Yet, a disciple is more than just a person who is learning. A a disciple really is someone who, the command to Jesus' disciples is that they themselves are actively giving themselves to the making of other learners, right? They're not just receiving something from Christ, but they're passing on what they've received from Christ or about Christ to other people. And so, if I can think about my Christian life and think about myself receiving and receiving and never passing on anything that I'm receiving, I can be pretty confident that something's gone wrong. Some wires were crossed uh, somewhere. And because I think so many of us focus so much thought and attention on how can I grow from this and spend very, very little time thinking about how we can pass on what we have uh, come to know about God or about Christ, like we sometimes labor under this misconception what exactly it is we've been called to in Jesus Christ. And so to help us uh, think about where we're at here, I think probably two very helpful and easy questions we could ask ourselves are how often am I praying for people who are less mature than I am, and less mature in Christ specifically? How often am I thinking about others, praying for others? Like, are my prayers primarily about myself and my circumstances, my situation, my joy, my happiness, my health? Or are my prayers generally about others? They're about other people coming to know Christ, growing in Christ, better understanding who Christ is and what Christ has done. And uh, if you pass the first test, if you'd say, yeah, my prayer life is generally focused on the benefit of others, then I think a good second question is, how often are you intentionally investing in seeing others mature in the gospel? How, how often are you going out of your way to see the gospel advance in the lives of other people? Uh, and I think uh, I hesitated to talk about Hebrews 5 today. Uh, I think it's in a section of Hebrews that's probably often misunderstood. And I don't really want to dive into Hebrews 5, but I think there is one point that we can see 
pretty easily without getting into uh, the whole chapter. And that is in Hebrews 5, 11, and 12. Uh, the author of Hebrews writes, About this we have much to say, and it's hard to explain. Right? He's been talking about the high priesthood of Jesus and similarities between Jesus' high priesthood and the high priesthood of Melchizedek. Right? Like He's getting into some pretty deep biblical theology, tying themes together in Scripture, and he just stops abruptly and is like, I have a lot more to tell you, but hmm, it's hard to explain. Since you have become dull of hearing. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oral oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food. For everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature. For those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. And I, I remember this is one of those passages where like, I don't know how many times I'd read it before it really occurred to me. Uh, that, you know, he kind of abruptly stops and is like, no, you're not ready for more uh, because you're dull of hearing, which is you know, sounds kind of insulting. It's a little, a little condescending. Like, there's something wrong with your heart. It's like your ears are dead. There's something wrong with you. And uh, then realizing in verse 12, he's substantiating what he just accused them of. That there's something going on with your heart that's not quite right. Let's, like, let's not push deeper until we figure out what's going on with your heart. And the evidence that there is something wrong with their heart is that opening clause of 12. Starts with a four. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. Right? And realizing at some point that he's not talking to the people who are gifted to teach or preach in the church. He's talking to everybody in the church, right? Like we recognize that there are some people that the Spirit has gifted to teach or preach. There are others that are gifted in mercy and generosity and administration and uh, service. And we're all gifted in different ways. Uh, but he's not talking about teaching in that sense, like the, the gift of teaching. He's talking to the entire congregation that we all are dull of hearing if we were the recipients of the letter. And his substantiation that we all are dull of hearing is that we ought to be teachers by now. Right? That essentially he's saying that uh, we are far enough in Christ that we ought to be handing off what we know about Jesus Christ to people who are less mature than we are. And that we're not doing that is evidence that we're not nearly as far along on the game board as we think we are. We need to go back to square one and start over. Right? That if we're not passing off what it is that we know about Jesus Christ, then we're not mature. Like, we're not doing what a disciple does if we're not handing off what we know. When we say... That as a church, and I, when we say that 
we think our goal is to see everyone mature in Christ. We don't think we're picking like one thing out of the basket of things that a church could do or could focus on and, you know, that's our thing and other people can have other things. We understand this to be the central charge of Christ to all churches. That he is very clear that the church's responsibility is to make disciples. That we are to go and proclaim the gospel, making disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey all that Jesus has commanded. And that teaching to obey all that Jesus commands includes the command to go and make disciples, right? And so, essentially, we're not uh, making a disciple, we're not completing the process of making a disciple. Or Let me say it like this. Uh, if a person responds uh, to the gospel with repentance and faith, They've started discipleship, but they're not completing the process of discipleship. It's not until a disciple begins making disciples that they're really fully a disciple of Jesus Christ, right? So when we uh, strive to see others come to Christ in faith, repent of their sins, and believe in Jesus Christ, we're not stopping there and saying, okay, disciple made, that we are continuing to strive to see them mature to the point that they themselves make disciples. And at that point, we can say, all right, we have a self-reproducing uh, disciple here. I'm going to move on to the next one. Uh, that this isn't just something that Jesus directly commands us to in the scriptures, but I'd say it's also very much an implied command of the New Testament. That the New Testament... Uh, at least, I mean, depending on how you count, at least 59 times gives us one another commands. Well, love one another, bear with one another, rebuke one another, be patient with one another, sing to one another. Over and over and over, uh, the New Testament gives us uh, commands that I think very much demonstrate that growth in discipleship uh, isn't just increasingly understanding the Bible in my uh, private devotional time, but it's a community project that we are together uh, increasingly conformed to the image of Christ, and our togetherness is both our opportunity to practice being patient with others and our opportunity to demonstrate the power of gospel as we love one another, serve one another, are patient with one another. Right? If you say, like, well, there is really not much of a community aspect to my Christian life. Well, how is it that you obey so many of the commands that Jesus gave? Right? It's very easy to be patient with one another when I'm alone in my prayer closet. Uh, it's a little bit harder on Sunday morning. Right? That there is absolutely a sense in which we are responsible to do this as individuals, but there's another sense in which we have to do this as a community that this is something that we are doing uh, together. And so when we say that our desire is to see everyone complete in Christ, that's a very shorthand way of saying a lot of things. That we understand that our uh, desire as individuals is to increasingly be conformed to the image of Christ. And at the same time, we realize that uh, it's, 
my faith is not me, myself, and I, that my faith is, in another sense, a community project. Like, I need you all to continue to grow in Christ. We all need each other to be conformed to the image of Christ. And so, uh, for the next six, eight, I don't remember how many weeks, Dean and Sam are going to be preaching through what it looks like to be a more compelling community in Christ. How can we demonstrate the power of the gospel to one another uh, and be edified and at the same time winsomely demonstrate the power of the gospel to other people who do not yet know Christ so they can see the gospel at work in us. Uh, In short, then, uh, making disciples is not just something we can be doing as a church, making disciples is something we must be doing as a church. It's essential to who we are as a church. And that doesn't mean just sharing the gospel with people who've never heard of Jesus before. It means if there's a person in this building who knows who Christ is, who's received them as Lord and Savior, but has never made a disciple, that we come alongside that person and help them walk into greater obedience. Like, what does it look like for you to go out and make a disciple where the Lord has put you? And if you can look around the room and not find a single believer uh, that doesn't know uh, their call to make disciples and isn't obeying it, then start looking outside the building. Find somebody who's never heard of Jesus Christ or somebody who's heard the gospel a thousand times um, but hasn't received him and seek to disciple them. If you're like me, I think a visual person, uh, this was very helpful for me to kind of crystallize the idea. And if you've gone through the membership class recently, sorry you have to see it again. Uh, But as... uh, as we think about what means exactly to grow in maturity, I think uh, think about it sort of like this: that we all start out uh, pretty much as far to the left as a person can start. That uh, we are in rebellion, open rebellion against the God of the universe. We, uh, if we, especially if we don't grow up in a Christian home, maybe don't hear the name of Jesus. For some time, like that we are in as spiritually dark a place as a person can get. And that uh, <clears throat> there is, uh, there are, uh, we're increasingly seeing people who are uh, more or less dark in some ways, uh, but that at the end of the day, wherever a person is in terms of the kingdom of darkness, that if they die or Christ comes back without them taking the step of repentance and faith, that they belong to the kingdom of Satan. And that once a person takes that step of repentance and faith, they step out of the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of light. That it doesn't matter Uh, how much or how little they mature in their journey towards Christ-likeness, that if they die or uh, Christ comes back, they will spend eternity in the kingdom of God. That in one way, that dividing line, repentance and faith, is the only thing that matters in uh, separating the kingdom of darkness and the kingdom of life. 
That is the single most important thing. We are pursuing that uh, certainly for everyone in this room, for every child that the Lord has entrusted to us, but not just in this room, for everyone in our communities. We want to see everyone take the step of faith and repentance. Yet, the New Testament is clear that that isn't the only call of the Christian, that I am a slave to righteous, that I am responsible to work out my own holiness with fear and trembling, knowing that it is the Lord who is at work in me. Over and over, the New Testament charges me to be increasingly conformed to the image of Jesus Christ, that my journey after I take the step of repentance and faith is to be molded into the likeness of my King Jesus. I'm going to keep moving, I guess we're mirror image, further to the right. I, my Christian walk is never done. I don't get a rest on laurels. Uh, I am never finished before my death or Christ's return in pursuing greater and greater Christ-likeness. That God's call on my life, on our life, is that we become more and more like Jesus Christ, that we better love one another, that we're more patient with each other, that we're more eager to serve one another, that we have a bigger heart for the lost, that always we are increasing in our conformity to Jesus Christ. It, and I think part of what we need in the next season ahead is that we all kind of think of one mind about what exactly it is this looks like. And I think one way uh, potentially that we could help is to say like, kind of as we evaluate ministries that the church could be doing or ways that we could be expending ourselves, uh, we're recognizing that generally there are probably four groups of people. I mean, everybody's an individual, but they're kind of four general groups of people. There are people who need to be engaged because they have no idea who Jesus Christ is. Maybe they've never heard Jesus Christ named. Right? We had an opportunity to engage in Refugee Ministry Lincoln over the last year and a half because the Lord opened the door to a group we don't often see, people who had actually never heard Jesus Christ named or had no real understanding of who he is. But even as the Lord opened a door for a ministry like that, there are other people in our communities, probably most people in our communities, uh, are people who've heard the gospel a hundred times or a thousand times or ten thousand times, but have not repented or believed. They know the gospel, but they don't understand it. They haven't stepped out of the kingdom of darkness. And that we as a church have to think strategically, not only about how we're going to engage people who do not yet know Christ, but also evangelize the people who don't yet understand what it is that Christ is offering them. And the group of people, us, who are working towards that end, are likewise sort of... Uh, in two groups or uh, two primary groups. We are uh, people who are being established in the faith. We very much have repented and believed. We've trusted in the Lord for our salvation. Uh, but in most ways, we are sort of immature in the faith. Uh, 
<laughs> Excuse me. Uh, and then there are others of us who are absolutely equipped. Uh, we understand that the calling, understand the calling the Lord has given us. We're eager to do it, and we are relentlessly pursuing it. Right? And uh, as I said, uh, I think one thing, one common misconception about what it is to be a mature believer versus an immature believer, or how do we pursue increasing maturity in Christ, is that all there is to maturity in Christ is better understanding my Bible. And like, I think that doesn't quite land. Like There is an element that uh, the more I understand my uh, Bible, probably the more mature I am in faith, but not necessarily. Likewise, I think it's common to think that a, a person's uh, length of time in Christ directly correlates to their maturity. That is, if I've been a believer for 30 years, then I'm pretty mature in Christ. Uh, and if I've only been a believer for a year, I'm, I'm not all that mature in Christ. And while, again, I would suggest to you that there probably is some truth to that in a general sense, that, uh, again, if we've uh, assumed that length of time in Christ equals maturity in Christ, we've probably made... Uh, mistake, right? That I would suggest to you that uh, the thing the New Testament seems to scream uh, to me separates the established from the equipped, or those who are less mature from those who are more mature, uh, those who have put on the mind of Christ, right? And specifically in Philippians chapter 2, uh, the, the person who understands their role in God's plan as seeing the gospel advance in the lives of others as a person who is more like Christ and a person who doesn't spend very much time thinking about others is probably a person who's less like Christ. And uh, so maybe uh, more specifically, if you could think, you know, in my last five trips to church, what was I thinking on the drive there? Was I thinking, I hope they sing the song that I like. I hope I get to sit near the person that I like. I hope that it's the pastor I like preaching. Right? If everything that you're hoping for or wanting or uh, craving from church is about what's best for you, I, that's a mark of immaturity. That's a mark of me thinking the Christian life is about me. Whereas if I'm walking away from or to church thinking about uh, ways that others can be edified, the person I need to talk to because I know they need encouragement in the gospel, or the person that I saw sin that I think, you know, I should probably tell them, uh, brother, sister, I don't know that this is helpful to the body. And that if I am looking at ways that I can serve others in the gospel, that is a mark of Christ-like maturity. And we say this, I say this now, because we are absolutely entering a season where the, it's all hands on deck. Like, we are uh, not in a time where we can say... Uh, I see that needs to be done. Somebody should really tell the elders about it. Or somebody should mention it to a deacon. Or uh, I really hope somebody addresses that. And like that we as a church body need to be increasingly others focused, 
eager to serve as the Lord served so that uh, we can see each other grow in Christ's likeness and ironically, so that we can grow in Christ's likeness. I would suggest to you, uh, as I, I think probably God does appreciate some irony, uh, to the person that's primarily focused on their own maturing in Christ, so me focused that they don't often think about others, they kind of plateau in maturing in Christ. As they're too focused on themselves and Christ wasn't self-focused. To the person who stops thinking about what they need to do to make themselves more mature in Christ and starts spending more time thinking about other people, that person then is themselves maturing in Christ. I am suggesting to you that we all could spend less time thinking about ourselves and more time thinking about others and in God's economy, that is the thing, that, that is the most self-interested action we can take. Like, God will use that to further conform us to Jesus Christ. And I'm not saying that you should never think about yourself. What I'm saying is every one of us, to a man or a woman, spends more than enough time thinking about ourselves already. And at the same time, as we said in the beginning, that we need to understand what it is God's called us to and work towards that end, we have to recognize that it's not our striving that makes this effective. It's God's power. There are means of grace which God uses to further conform his people to Christ's likeness and that whatever else changes in the weeks or months ahead, these things are constant. We are a praying people. We recognize that this does not rest in our hand. We pray earnestly for each other, for our community, certainly for our circumstances, certainly for the meeting tomorrow night, but more than that, for the hearts of others. Dean asked you six weeks ago to uh, commit to, with the church body, praying once a day for 30 seconds for somebody that you know who doesn't believe in Christ. How do we do? Does the degree to which we gave ourselves to praying in that pattern demonstrate the degree to which we think this is ultimately in the hand of the Lord? We are committed to the ministry of the Word. That we understand... Uh, that God's word has the power by God's spirit to transform hearts. That whatever we do, uh, whatever we don't do, that the word is central to our ministry. That we have a responsibility to dwell in the word personally, but to exhort other people to dwell in the word with us to encourage other people to increasingly submit to the word and themselves exhort other people to increasingly dwell in the word. And that requires the fellowship of believers, that we as believers must prioritize the fellowship of our church even in the busyness of this next season. That, as we said, that there is something about the community dynamic that is integral to God's plan to 
make us more like King Jesus. That uh, in our togetherness, that we have to be investing in others and being humble enough to be invested in by others. And that, uh, if you like, one, two, three, simple, this is it. That whatever else happens, whatever other changes there are, uh, even as uh, we might call you to do things that are uncomfortable, uh, we are still absolutely and always committed to further embracing a culture of disciple-making. We understand that is our calling as a church. That's Christ's calling to the church, that we are striving to make disciples from now until Christ's return, that there may be people from every tribe, tongue, language, and nation standing before the throne on that day, that we are increasingly understanding our responsibility to equip each other for the work of ministry, that, uh, I said, uh, seeing someone uh, receive Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior is the first step into discipleship. I don't walk away with a job unfinished. That our responsibility is to pursue one another, to exhort each other to make disciples. Uh, that if a person's never understood their call to make disciples, or maybe if a person went through an incredibly difficult season and hasn't made one for a while, our responsibility to one another is to encourage each other to faithfulness in this call. And then as God multiplies the number of disciples, we engage in intentionally planting churches. That God ultimately uses Uh, individuals, but there's something unique in God's plan about the community of the church coming together, adorned by the gospel, drawing others to faith in Christ. Excuse me. That we are ultimately all called to be disciple-making disciples, people who live out the one another's, uh, people who struggle together, side by side, striving for the sake of the gospel, that we uh, give ourselves, not just to our ministry personally, but as the Lord gifts us to uh, further encouraging the ministry of the church, our collective ministry with one another, that uh, I am Many of us uh, have been called uh, not just to minister personally, but to continue to help others grow in their ability to minister, to lead others into ministry. And want to ask you, church body, to prayerfully consider whether the way that you serve now is the fullest and most faithful stewardship of the gifts the Lord has given you, or whether it's what I've always done. And maybe what you've always done is the fullest and most faithful stewardship before you. Maybe it's not. And to that end, to continue to strive as a church body uh, to see 
churches planted. I, I'm, I keep reminding myself, and I want to say it publicly to you all, that in some ways it feels to me like seeing a church planted in Hickman is the finish line, and in other ways I think we need to know that it's the starting line, and that uh, there are lots and lots of communities south and east of us with no compelling Christian witness, that uh, there are people in Lincoln who have never in the history of the world had access to the gospel. I'm happy to see any and every church planted in Lincoln, but our heart as a church, I hope, is increasingly to see people without direct access to the gospel receive direct access to the gospel. And so to that end, uh, let me be very specific about what I'm asking you to, what Dean and Sam will be calling you to as a community in the weeks to come. Uh, if you're a person, uh, I would say, yeah, I, I don't make disciples. I can't. Like, you don't understand what my health situation is. You don't understand what life's been like. You don't understand. Uh, if you genuinely believe you can't, like, I'm not here to tell you your reasons are good or bad. I'm saying that uh, our responsibility as a church body is to come alongside of you and see that you don't stay there. Right? Like We want to encourage you to grow in faithfulness to Christ. And so pick this up out in the hallway uh, and begin praying. Like God, put one or two people on my mind, people that really seem like they're mature in Christ, people that seem like they care about me, and ask them to disciple you. Say, I, I want to better understand what it is to walk in obedience to Christ. Like, help me. And if by, by God's grace you know that you can disciple people and uh, you aren't for whatever reason, think of one or two people uh, Maybe sitting in the row next to you that you, you, you know aren't themselves making disciples. Or if you don't have any of those in the church body, then one or two people outside the church body. Maybe you've never heard of Christ before. And that what does it look like to make a disciple? How do I help them move further to the right? Like maybe step into repentance and faith or maybe themselves begin to make disciples. But how do I help them grow in faithfulness, and then begin praying for them. Uh, begin spending time with them and start reading the Bible with them. It's really not nearly as complicated as we've made it. It's pretty simple. It just takes submission to the Lord. And then corporately, what Dean and Sam will be talking to us about, uh, I think, uh, is about how our life together can increasingly attract uh, the attention of a watching world, adorn the gospel for people who do not yet know Christ. Uh, but I want to single in on one thing specifically for the sake of time. And that is, I think, uh, for a number of reasons that we don't really need to get into, uh, the time is right for us uh, to re-engage in some summer children's ministry. We, uh, it's our your pastors, I think elders, estimation that uh, VBS 
isn't necessarily right for where country Bible is at. That, uh, you know, we kind of stand between several communities and looking forward, there's going to be Redemption Hill Bible in Hickman. And there are lots of people in Hickman and in Panama. In fact, I had two conversations this week with people who said, Country Bible, that sounds like an interesting church. Where is it? And they drive by within a mile of here every day. That uh, We think that it is uh, imperative that we invest in Backyard Bible Clubs this summer. And if you've never heard of one or it sounds strange, it's really very simple. Uh, you invite all the neighborhood children into your yard, you spend an hour with them, play a game, uh, share a Bible story, maybe sing a couple songs, do a craft, and then they go home. It's, it's not difficult. In fact, I had the joy of doing it uh, last summer with some Afghan children, some of you and some Afghan children. And if it can be done with people that don't speak English, it could definitely be done in your neighborhood. Uh, I, that as a church body, uh, we are asking you to prayerfully consider investing in backyard Bible clubs this summer. Whether you live in Bennett or Hickman or Panama and you want to host a group, whether you live out in the middle of the country and you have no neighbors, but you'd love to help lead a group in whatever capacity you want to be involved, we're asking you please to consider uh, helping us uh, be uh, better at engaging and evangelizing our communities. That our goal isn't just to see the people in this room become more like Christ, it's to see everyone become more like Christ. And increasingly uh, visibly demonstrating the compelling community of the church is one way that we can do that. It is uh, genuinely my hope uh, that you don't take what I say this morning uh, to be disappointment uh, in any way but encouragement to greater faithfulness. We uh, have been privileged to see God work in some incredible ways in the past. I think we are privileged to see God work in some incredible ways right now. But we never, as a church, want to be people who rest on our laurels. That we always want to be striving, uh, pursuing greater faithfulness in Christ uh, even as we understand that our striving earns us no acceptance or love from God, that he's already entirely accepted us in Christ, that he loves us fully in him, we recognize what it is that God has given us in Christ and eagerly seek to hand everything back to him in faith-filled awe. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you, uh, God, for your grace in Christ. Lord, uh, even as uh, we recognize the many examples of your grace and faithfulness in and amongst us, and we can also recognize ways in which we could better steward the gifts you've given to seek your ends, to see the gospel advance and the church built. 
And so, God, we pray that you would continue to cultivate in us hearts that would both celebrate the graces that we see even as we seek greater faithfulness. God, uh, help us, Lord, to uh, see the gospel in clarity, to hold it uh, tightly even as we extend it freely to people who do not yet know you. We ask that you would do this for your glory and in Christ's name. Amen.